Good morning, folks. Welcome to the Fallon Forum. This is Ed Fallon, your host here, as we broadcast live from Lorena, 1260 AM and 96.5 FM in Des Moines, Iowa, the cultural and culinary crossroads of America. Uh, later in the program, uh, Samantha Kuhn's going to join us. Also, Matthew Pierce, we're going to be talking about the work that Bold Iowa is doing in the presidential campaign relevant to the climate crisis. Uh, first, I want to take a second to thank some of our local sponsors. Thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe, located at 20th and Woodland in the Sherman Hill neighborhood. That's my grocery store and an excellent place for breakfast, lunch, and supper. They've also got a catering service. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic. They're located in uh, Nevada, Iowa. And the uh, the head of that uh, clinic is Dr. Kim Holding. She's been treating critters large and small for over 30 years. That's Story County Veterinary Clinic. Also thanks to Ritual Cafe, located on 13th Street in downtown Des Moines between Locust and Grand. Fair Trade Coffee, Fair Trade Tea, and an all-vegetarian menu. That's Ritual Cafe. And finally, thanks to Cinco de Mayo Restaurant, located on Southeast 14th Street in Des Moines. Authentic Mexican food at very affordable prices with friendly service. That's Cinco de Mayo Restaurant. All right, hey, welcome to the program, folks. Uh, Again, later in the program, we're going to be talking about the Bold Iowa Climate Bird Dog Initiative, which has um, now morphed into an element, a subset, shall we say, the Bold Climate Penguins. So we'll talk about that. But first, we've got some very serious uh, conversations to delve into here at a at a local. Well, it's a local. There's a local presence, but it's a national mobilization. It's the uh, mobilization to call attention to the disturbing number of uh, missing and murdered Indigenous women. And with me on the phone from the Meskwaki settlement are Dara Jefferson and Olivia Walker. Dara, Olivia, welcome to the program. Thank you. Yeah. So. Um, this is, again, a, a national day of mobilization, but I know we have a very strong uh, presence planned here in Des Moines. Can you tell us a bit about what's coming up? Um, so on Sunday, May 5th, we're planning a rally. Um, May 5th is actually the National Day of Awareness for Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women. So we decided to have a rally on that day um, to honor our women that have been missing and murdered. Um, the rally will be at the Capitol from 1 p.m. to 3 p.m., and we have a lineup of speakers that will be speaking. We have um, a dance troupe that will be performing. It will be a really good rally, and I hope everybody can be there. Yeah. And uh, for people who aren't familiar with, uh, with the, with the um, again, the disturbing uh, number of uh, missing and murdered indigenous women, what um well, what are the numbers like just for folks who can relate to it maybe on that level and how does it compare to uh, missing and murdered populations in in other demographics? Uh, hello, this is Olivia. You know, unfortunately, per capita, uh, Native American women across the country and in Canada, um, you know, suffer from disproportionate rates of violence against women. You know, everything from sexual assault to intimate partner violence. Um, to to the issue that we're talking about today. Um, there aren't great statistics just because we, you know, there's um, gaps in criminal jurisdiction, so it's hard to actually get accurate rates for information. But um, in 2016, uh, the National Crime Information Database reported that there were at least 5,723 known incidents um, of missing and murdered Indigenous women. Say, so that, number, say that number again, Olivia, 5,700? 
5,723. Um, the, there are some national organizations who are doing some really great advocacy that are trying to get more accurate information. But, you know, again, that was compiled from various statistics. And what, what period of time was that over? Um, that's uh, 2016 to date. Wow. And how does that, how does that compare to other demographics? Um, like I said, I, I don't know the um, accurate statistics yeah, right, for others. Right. All I know is that it's, it's okay. we're disproportionately impacted. Yeah. You know, when it comes to sexual assault, you know, um, you know they say for women it's about one in three. Um, that's for all women. And then if you look at um, Native American women, the rates are higher. Well, that's that is disturbing. And uh, uh, is there is is there? Do you have an explanation? What's what's the uh, what are the reasons? Yeah, I mean, we could look at, you know, um, if you look at racial issues that we have, if you look at criminal jurisdiction issues, predators know, you know, where they can commit. Um, It goes all the way back to the point of contact. Um, So colonization and genocide and the stripping of matriarchy from our nations. Um, There's a lot of different reasons that we can get into. We can talk about the extractive economy. Um, We can talk about hunting season in some of the northern states. We can talk about a lot of those issues. So um, a lot of it kind of just boils down to, um, you know, people taking advantage of both criminal jurisdiction gaps as well as, um, like, racial issues. Right. Huh. And uh, I know that there has been quite a bit of more, quite a bit, quite an increase in awareness just in the past couple of years. I know in, in Iowa, part of the uh, reason we've seen that, that growing awareness is because of the Dakota Access Pipeline and the the understanding uh, that that the pipeline and the uh, oil industry in general tend to attract these man camps that become focal points for this kind of uh, you know abuse and uh, and and misconduct and that that I think is that that's brought it to uh, the forefront of a lot of people's consciousness. But again, we have a long ways to go. But that I mean, is that in your experience too? Have you seen that uh, that connection between? the increased incident and the uh, and the existence of these man camps and the pipelines? Yeah, I would say that that's what's been reported from different nations, especially those that have been impacted in North Dakota and other places. Um, there's a report that came out from the Minnesota uh, Indian Women's uh, Resource Center that actually looked at um, the harbor up in Duluth and how there's been generational exploitation of mm. American Indian women up there. And so I think anytime you know, we have large amounts of men, um, unfortunately, this seems to this seems to follow this issue, and so um, in terms of what happened, what's happening in the state of Iowa, I think that we definitely see some of the um, Western nations, you know, across like Nebraska, South Dakota, impacted. Um, the reason that we're raising awareness uh, in our community is because not necessarily connected to the extractive economy, but we have had one of our tribal members go missing in 2015. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, for myself as a family member and also as someone who, you know, advocates for some of these issues, I think it's really important that we raise awareness and, you know, also honor uh, my cousin Rita Papaki's memory and do what we can to try and find her as well. Mm, yeah, that's a very sad story. Uh and again, it's it's not. Unfortunately, it's not. It's, it's again, it's not unique to Iowa or to any particular state. It's it's been a, a problem across the country, as I, as far as I understand. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, again, there will be similar events in other parts of the U.S. Correct? 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a number of folks who, you know, pull together speaker panels to talk about the issue. Um, there's a lot of family members who um, speak in various places. Um, the Urban Indian Health Institute also uh, developed a report that talked about uh, the unique issue of missing and murdered Indigenous women in urban communities. And so, yeah, there's definitely a lot of things happening across the state. There's also a virtual, a virtual run that's happening um, on May 5th, um, so folks all over can participate in that as well. Uh, and then we also have, I want to say we have about 30 Meskwaki women who are going to be participating in the Des Moines Women's Half Marathon, both the Half Marathon and the Marathon Relay, to, wow. to run for Rita. And then there's going to be oh, a good. Yeah. Well, I know that, I know that um, uh, members of the Meskwaki tribe and, and several other tribes in the upper Midwest have, have uh, done uh, a lot of um, encouraging work, raising awareness through their ability to run long distances uh certainly we've had what i think three or four different different cases where where young people in particular have run along the pipeline route or or uh from from cannonball to washington dc in one case coming through iowa and i think uh-huh. those have been uh, really uh, uh those those are challenging things to do and uh-huh. i think really important in terms of um giving folks along along the path of that uh that that action, a chance to hear the stories and learn what's going on. So again, if, if people want to learn more about um, similar events in their communities, there is a there is a Facebook uh, page or a website they can go to to learn about where else there might be rallies. Yeah, that's correct. Um, you know, if you want to look at what's happening here in Iowa, you can go to you can just Google Meskwaki Nation and then MMIW, uh, Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women. You can also Google uh, National Day of Awareness for Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women to find uh, something that's happening in local communities. Okay, and again, that's coming up this uh, this Sunday in Des Moines at one o'clock at the Iowa State Capitol. Yes, sir. All right. Very good. Well, again, folks, I encourage you to check out the uh, check out the um, the information online to see if there may be a similar event in a community near you, because this is an important uh, uh, important issue. It's a it's a, a problem that has not seen enough attention. Uh, you know, I know one an- another incident, very unfortunate incident, that helped raise awareness about it here in Iowa was the uh, the, the horrifying you know murder of Molly Tibbetts and. Of course, because her family had access to a lot of money, there was the ability to put a lot more resources into trying to find or figure out what happened. And, uh, and, and the, the, it raises the question as well, you know, why can't we be as concerned about and put as much effort into the lives of, you know, people of color in some cases and certainly people who don't have the financial wherewithal to help track down a missing family member? Uh, Absolutely. So. Anyway, again, hope uh, I hope uh, hope you have continued uh, success at uh, getting the word out. I uh, appreciate you coming on my show this morning and sharing your story with uh, our audience. And I hope uh, hope people can make a note of the uh, the event coming up this weekend at the Iowa State Capitol. All right. Well, thank you for having us. All right. Thank you. Thanks a bunch, Bye. folks. We're going to take a short break here, and when we come back. Uh, Samantha Kuhn is going to join us. We're going to talk about some of the work that Bold Iowa is doing relevant to the presidential campaign and the climate crisis. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned source for specialty groceries. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, specialty cheeses, and hand-selected wines and craft beer. Visit the lively cafe for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. 
Gateway Market is centrally located on the corner of Martin Luther King Jr. Parkway and Woodland Avenue. Stop by or visit www.gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. For all your accounting needs, both business and personal, contact Ying Sa at Community CPA with offices in Des Moines and Iowa City. It seems that tax law changes every year. You want an accountant who's up to speed on the latest twists and turns, someone who can help make sure your tax return is filed accurately, in a timely manner, and properly, so you don't end up paying any more than you need to pay. So give Ying Sa, the founder of Community CPA, a call at 515-288-3188. That's 515-288-3188. Across the Des Moines metro, Ritual Cafe is known for its excellent fair trade coffee and fair trade tea. Ritual Cafe also serves breakfast and lunch and offers an entirely vegetarian menu. This unique venue is also known for its live music and displays of local artwork on the walls. Located on 13th Street between Locust and Grand in downtown Des Moines, Ritual Cafe is open six days a week. Make Ritual Cafe a daily part of your ritual. Times are tough, and most people are just trying to make their cars last a little bit longer. That's why you should know about Sargent's Garage in Des Moines. You can trust Sargent's to make the right diagnosis and give you a fair price every time. Whether it's a routine oil change or a major repair, Sargent's always does outstanding work. So don't give up on that old car just yet. Call Sargent's Garage at 515-246-8149. That's 515 515- 246-8149. It's important to know where your food comes from. At Hawk Restaurant, that's easy because 90% comes from Iowa Farms and Iowa Producers. Located at East 5th and Walnut Street, Hawk is open for lunch and supper Monday through Saturday. From May through October, you'll also find Hawk at the Downtown Farmer's Market serving fantastic breakfast wraps with 100% of the ingredients from Iowa, except for the salt and pepper. Learn more at hawktable.com. That's H-O-Q-Table.com. Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant... Well, maybe not an elephant. If you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's work history is long and deep, and her clients stick with her year after year because they know she will do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Dr. Holding a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Forum. Ed Fallon here with you. Later in the program, Matthew Pierce is going to join us. We're going to talk with him about his perspective on Bold Iowa's bird, Climate Bird Dog Initiative. I want to take a second to remind folks that they can hear this program live every Monday from 11 to noon Central Time on Lorena 1260 AM and 96.5 FM. You can also catch it uh, as a rebroadcast on a couple other stations in Iowa. KHOI 89.1 FM in Ames, and KICI in Iowa City. Also, we rebroadcast on stations in Missouri, New Orleans, and 
I'm not sure where else, but it goes out to the Pacifica Network, so who knows where it lands. But if you'd like to listen to it as a podcast, check out the Fallon Forum website. That's www.fallonforum.com. And you, sub- you can subscribe to the program on iTunes or Stitcher. And, of course, like us on Facebook. All right, so uh, moving on to conversation about the presidential campaign. In the studio with me is Samantha Kuhn. Samantha, welcome to the show. Hi, Ed. So she's been doing a heck of a lot of bird-dogging. Actually, there are some presidential candidates that know her by name. <laughs> At least John Delaney does. Maybe maybe others? Uh, I... I at this point, I think Eric Swalwell uh, recognizes me, <laughs> and he Marianne, might remember my name. Marion Williamson might. I don't know. Who but. knows? Anyway, so uh, you are—you're not a native. Uh, you're not native to Iowa. Uh, no, you just I, come here to make trouble, haven't you? Yes, yes, okay. I have. Um, I uh, was born in Chicago. I come from a, a long-time Chicago family, North Side. Cubbies. <laughs> okay. Um, but I also grew up uh, in Hyde Park on the south side. Um, in so you're kind of a, a split personality. <laughs> well, University of Chicago is there, and I went to their high school, and I got my master's eventually uh, right. at U of C. What would you get your degree in? Oh, well, my master's was just in humanities, but I focused on... Uh, History, mainly. All right. And, and I, literature. <laughs> and you somehow got interested in politics. Oh, well... What caused this problem to happen? <laughs> yes, indeed, a problem. No, um, I also did further graduate study, and I've always been interested in politics. I remember thinking during the Obama campaign, well, everyone I knew was working on the Obama campaign because... Sure, local boy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, my my doctor delivered his daughters. Oh, wow. Okay. Um <laughs> And then I I was teaching community college. I haven't finished my PhD yet. You have not? No, no, I'm ABD. I'm one of those people that have taken all the classes, but uh, passed all the exams, and I haven't finished my oh, book so yet. You're just lazy. Oh, <laughs> you tried translating you. 16th century Clearly German and Latin. Uh, oh, that sounds. Uh, you know, I, I think and I got needles in my eyes. Anyway, <laughs> so uh, but uh, so you got interested in politics during the Obama years, and uh, I imagine you're in, a little bit inspired by uh, by our current president to get involved. Oh, that's that's really what finally did it to me. I was always too busy working on my studies to work on the Obama campaigns and Trump is my worst nightmare. And I I knew that it, there was a strong possibility that he'd win. Right. Back in the day, because uh, I knew Hillary Clinton was going to be our candidate from the time of Obama's first primary when he <laughs> won it and back and and you could tell they made a deal. She they said, Hillary, if you you support him from now on, you'll end up on his cabinet and we will run you for president. The right. next time round. The oligarchy within the Democratic Party who makes such decisions. Exactly. And who is their anointed candidate this time? <laughs> or is that even a, is that, 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 is that such an obvious answer that I don't even need to 
Oh, please. Fraser. For the establishment, it's Biden. Why do you who think is, Biden who is... Who is now coming to Iowa tomorrow. Yes. And Des Moines on Wednesday. Yep. Yeah. He's so, coming. Um, so yeah, the, a lot of the work you've been doing since you've been here uh, has been to question candidates about climate change to push them to be more aggressive on it. How's that going for you? Well, um, every, I think they're getting a little annoyed <laughs> when you ask the same question at various events. Why uh, will you make climate change your top priority? Yeah. And we're lucky if they talk about it for 10 seconds. Right. In their stump speech. But we've done some great things with the Climate Bird Dog Initiative. I mean, we got Bernie, Bernie to talk twice as long uh, right. at his rally about climate change because and our how, did you, how did you do that? Oh, <laughs> well, before the Bernie rally, we knew that no signs were supposed to be brought. So, no signs except Bernie signs, I believe, right? Um, yes, but they had to be, even then, the they had to be Bernie Bernie, official Bernie signs. Right. No handmade Bernie signs <laughs> even were allowed in this rally. And they they, they checked Sense. every bag. But wait, were, what, do you, what do you mean by checked? They looked into everybody's bag and backpacks to make sure there was, well, I, I you know, nothing dangerous and no signs. Right. And... Uh, Kathy, your wonderful Kathy, um, she uh, met, since we knew this beforehand, she show, she sewed up a piece of cloth that matched her bag, and she folded the Bold Iowa posters, slipped it into this sewn piece of cloth and, that matched the bag, and put it up against it the wall of it on the inside so that when you looked into the bag, it no, just wait looked... No, you're, you're giving away her trade secrets on the air. <gasps> no, it's okay. <laughs> don't, don't say that. No, everyone's no, going to do okay. that. No, it's okay. It's okay. But, um, but the bottom line is... Uh, we snuck them in, essentially. Well, and yeah. when he talked about climate change, which we knew where he was going to discuss it because uh, a couple of bold Iowa people watched his stump speeches, like mm -hmm. one in, from Council Bluffs, and I think there was another. Iowa City, I think. Iowa yeah. City. And um, we knew exactly where in his stump speech he was going to talk about the climate. And when he did, a dozen of us lifted our signs that said, climate is a crisis, be bold on climate. And up they went, and he was looking at us, and you could tell he was looking at us because people in front of us were turning around trying to figure out what is he looking at, and we were right in the middle of the crowd um, so that, you know, it would take a while for security to get to us if they would do that. And he ended up talking from seeing those climate speeches, looking directly at us, he ended up going off his stump speech and talking twice as much about climate as he had on his previous speeches. Yeah, and I know I, I know the, uh, the the official campaign video that's been out there and seen by what, close to fifty thousand people has close up shots of the uh, of the signs, which is interesting to me because the. You know, I don't really know where Sanders himself stands on this. He may be just yeah. so disengaged from on-the-ground stuff that it's entirely his staff and campaign handlers that are 
that are making these decisions, but somehow the the official videography crew decided that it was good enough to use in in their official video. Well, Interesting. The same thing happened to me at the P uh Buttigieg rally actually in terms right. of who is really is mysteriously risen very quickly and dramatically in the polls and I wonder yeah. whether that's a flash in the pan or you know something a, of uh, a, lasting significance. I originally thought he was just a flash in the pan. Please forgive me, Mayor Pete. I think you're great. <laughs> Honestly, and we have to talk about history sometime because <laughs> we completely agree about what's going on with American history right now uh, with, uh, you know, American events. Um, I I thought he was a flash in the pan. But at the same time, I was thinking, but he's he's the mayor of South Bend and South Bend is not the most liberal town in the Midwest. It's it's not like Chicago. I mean, it's a university town. Well, it's less it, corrupt than Chicago. <laughs> that, well, well, Chicago politics has a long and rich history of corruption. Well, don't you have, don't you have three governors in jail? Yeah, actually, it's it's like <laughs> one out of every two governors, and one out of every two governors goes to jail. Uh, I I remember John Stewart on the Daily Show back when he was on the Daily Show. Oh, John, how we miss you so. Um, Please bring Samantha some tissues, Ashley. Yes. Yes. Break down and sobbing right now. John, please come back on TV. We need you now more than ever. Anyway, all these governors going off to jail. Yeah, yeah. And he, he, he said, so that tell your kids, you know, you have two choices. You can be the president, the governor of Illinois, or you can be a murderer. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so back to a, a fun digression, but back to... Um, you uh, you know again you were you were bird dogging your Buttigieg event as well, and also I would did I understand correctly they they didn't allow signs there either. They did not. I had no warning this time, and I was the bird dog leader. So of course, what am I doing? I'm sitting out in the green with my signs around me, waiting for my team. Um, actually. Strangers were coming up and asking, can I please have a sign to hold? <laughs> really? Wow. Oh, yeah, they were. Yeah. And um, Well, climate is one of the two top concerns that Iowa caucus goers have expressed. Yeah. That they, they, want, they want to see candidates talking more about uh, health care and climate. Yeah. Um, well, and, and uh, way above everything else. That, that's which, yeah, the two climate most has, has risen in uh, – I. I think people are finally realizing, oh, now we're truly seeing the changes. But it has risen to the point where candidates are talking about it like a priority. I mean, even Bernie. I, it came, what, about halfway through his speech? Yeah. Some candidates, even though they, when pushed on climate, they, they, they present a very you know, compelling uh, position. They don't actually talk about it until they're pushed on it. So mm-hmm. what gives? How can, how can somebody say... Yes, climate change is an existential threat. I believe in science. Science says we've got to get this figured out by 2030 and yet not talk about it. There's some kind of a disconnect going on here. And I, you know, I don't know how we get through to them that, that, uh, that if, they're really, if they're really serious about it, it has to be a higher level priority. Well, number one, can I say to all you candidates out there, please stop using the term existential threat because most people, they hear – 
the climate crisis is an existential threat, and they don't know quite what that means. So maybe just saying a threat to our very existence? Yes. Okay. Make it clear, because, I mean... People have heard about, you know, most people, if they understand what existential means, they also think it's more about, like, people being depressed. And, you know, existentialism, you know, philosophers examining their lives. It's about, I mean, existential, even though you, you, you can break it down, people aren't going to break down this word. Right. Most don't know what it means. But... Also, they don't know how to respond. Most of them don't know how to respond with an answer of this is what I will do. At least I, I, I think like Inslee has ideas. And but don't you think most of them have ideas of what they would do? I, but they, it, they're, they're, it's they're not, too vague still. They're too vague. Okay. How would, you, how would you give me an example of a candidate that could be more specific? Uh, Mayor Buttigieg, actually, okay. he, he laid out uh, what he planned to do, and it was a combination of massive R&D, use current technology, um, I forget what else, but he was he, he was he laid out a plan of what we have to do and that we have to put, uh, we're going to have to think of it like the Manhattan Project. Mm-hmm. In terms of, you know, the importance and the money we have to put into it to turn things around. And everybody complains that, you know, the U.S. is only 15 percent of the problem. So why should we do anything? Because we're 15 percent of the problem, <laughs> we should lead in the world. Oh, yeah, beyond, the beyond that figure, we're, yeah. we're not just an inconsequential 15 percent. We're kind of the powerhouse that has helped led the fossil fuel revolution that has caused the problem. And we, and we still have yeah. some – I mean, I would like to – even though I believe Donald Trump has probably lowered our status as a nation regarded with respect mm -hmm. around the world, I think that's not permanent uh, – you know, permanent loss, permanent damage. Not yet. And I, I think with, a, with, with new leadership and a new direction, you might see – uh, nation saying, yeah, if the U.S. is going to help lead on this, we will also. We will also. Exactly. And uh, unfortunately, the developing countries can only do so much. But if we re-enter the P Paris Accord, which is very important, um, and I'm sure there's a way for the U.N. to figure out how to help developing countries um not destroy their land as yeah. they're... Well, and some of that's already happening. I mean, just yeah. despite China and India going hog wild on new coal-fired power plants, there's, they are doing good things on renewable technologies as well. Yeah. So. Well, Samantha, I really appreciate you taking the time to visit with us. Samantha Kuhn, folks, uh, one of the uh, team leaders for the Iowa, the Bold Iowa Bird Dog, or Bold Iowa Climate Bird Dog <laughs> Initiative. So you may see her out there. Uh, we'll see maybe by the end of the campaign, every presidential candidate will know you by name. I have a feeling that is correct. <laughs> <laughs> well, congratulate. You're doing important things for democracy and for our planet. Thank you, Samantha. Thanks, Ed. Thanks for having me on your show. Hey, when we come back, folks, after a short break, we're going to hear from some of the uh, local businesses that help make uh, La Reina, the uh, station itself, uh, a viable concern. When we come back, though, we'll hear from Matthew Pierce. He's going to join us, and we're going to talk a little bit more about some other angles on the Climate Bird Dog Initiative. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum.
folks. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon with you here. Okay, so um, looking ahead, in a couple of minutes here, we're going to be talking about uh, another perspective on the Climate Bird Dog Initiative. I want to take a second to thank some of our local sponsors here in Des Moines. Uh, thanks to Community CPA with offices in Des Moines and Iowa City. A great uh, resource for tax and accounting information. Talk with Yingsa, the owner and founder of Community CPA. Also, thanks to Hawk Restaurant, that's H-O-Q, Hawk Restaurant, on East 5th and Walnut, where 90% of the food served, even this time of the year, comes from Iowa Farms and local producers. That's Hawk Restaurant. Thanks also to Sergeant's Garage, located on 6th and College in Des Moines. Uh, they've been working on mild beaters for a long time, and they get it right every time. Fair price, excellent diagnosis. That's Sergeant's Garage. And finally, thanks to Diversity Insurance, located at 1541 East Grand in Des Moines. All your insurance needs under one roof. No appointment needed. Diversity Insurance, folks, located at 1541 East Grand in Des Moines. All right, so again, welcome back to the show, and uh, thanks to Matthew Pierce for joining me in the studio here. Matthew, welcome to the program. Absolutely. It's a privilege to be here. Now, you are a Des Moines native. I am not. You're not. Oh, you you, you hide it well. I do hide it well. Um I came to Iowa in 2007 to work for the Iowa Democratic Party, Ah. Um, not for any particular candidate, uh, but for the party itself uh, to set up all one, at that time, 1,797 precinct caucuses. To set them all up. I didn't do all of them. Oh, okay. I did. I did. Um, I did 466, I believe, uh, in the west and southwest corner of the state. Essentially, what is now the third congressional district. So, okay. Um, and then also went up to Sioux City as well. Did so. you travel a lot? I did. I yeah. put a lot of miles on on my brand new car at that time, a 2007 Saturn Ion, a Union built in Tennessee. <laughs> all right. And I'm um, sure it's. No longer there. I hope the party paid for gas and maybe even wear and tear. Absolutely. Good. Mm-hmm. All right. So that, um, that, that was a pretty amazing election because uh, a lot of the precinct caucus locations were not adequate to accommodate the record-breaking number of people who showed up. That is true. Yeah, was that your experience? I know that was the case in Des Moines. I heard anecdotal stuff elsewhere. Was that your experience as well? Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, but I was working in in southwest Iowa, which doesn't have very many Democrats to start with. Um, But there, um, I did push the county chairs to make sure that each of their locations uh, was going to be large enough. Because some of these towns are really small. They don't have a large meeting place. And right. even right. even a library can't necessarily hold 100 people from the county. Yeah, so. in early February, you can't exactly meet in the city park. No. No, definitely not. All right. Well, yeah, that's uh, I didn't know that part of your background, Matthew. That's interesting. Yep. And I, be, I imagine you made a few friends in the process. Maybe, I, yeah, maybe, maybe it was, some enemies? Some county uh, chairs that got sick I, of you? I don't think... Oh. I like the at the time the Lucas County chair. He was my favorite. Um, he he's a Buzz Malone. Yes, Buzz Malone is a great guy. Yeah, I couldn't. And, and an author as well. A is he really? Organizer and an author. He's written some great books. Really? Yes, fantastic books. Wow, yeah. that is awesome. He. Uh, but don't tell him I said that. It'll go to his head. And he'll he, it'll explode. It'll be messy. Yeah, he introduced me. Um, I met with his uh, county party at a restaurant there in Sheraton. Um, and uh, he introduced me as a uh, 
from a representative from the IDP, the Iowa Duck Producers. <laughs> and um, I have continued to use that joke uh, for the last, I don't know, 12 years. Well, if, it, if, it, if it's a joke you got from Buzz, it's probably not a very good one. Oh, I, it seems to work pretty <laughs> okay, well. Good, good. Um, I, I just had a tease guy. Oh no, he's he is fantastic. Yeah. I couldn't remember his name, so thank you for remembering sure. that. Yeah, so, he's a great um, guy. So you've been involved for a while now with efforts to uh, educate candidates about climate change, and, and maybe that's yeah. gotten a little bit easier because of some recent polling information. Yeah, um, the uh, the Iowa poll um, done by Ann Seltzer and company, the probably the one of the absolute best polls in the country because um, she knows how to talk to people and knows which people to talk to. Um, so her, uh, I believe this was the most recent poll, may not be anymore, but um, the Des Moines Register poll from March 10th, uh, published on March 10th, um, found that 80% of poll respondents uh, of caucus, of likely or definite caucus goers, Democratic caucus, Democratic caucus, caucus okay. goers, um, say that candidates should spend a lot of time talking about climate change. And 91% of those, um, so roughly 70% of the total, um, say that they prefer a candidate who supports the Green New Deal, uh, which couples government programs to address climate change with uh, support for jobs in the clean energy sector to help address poverty. Um, and also among that uh, 80%, 65 of those uh, favor a candidate who's supposed to Green New Deal in full and 26% who a favor approaching it in part. So it is um, – and then in the same poll, uh, health care and Medicare for all, I believe, um, are up there at 81 percent. So health care yeah. and our environment are the absolute well, – and again, not, not just environments, but yes. specifically climate. Yeah. Specifically climate, yeah. and um, yeah. 70% of likely caucus goers support the Green New Deal in, in some form. And yeah. that is, that's inspiring to me. Which, of course, is getting a lot of pushback from, uh, from Republicans and even some Democrats. Oh, uh, yeah. But it seems to me, from what I've heard, that most of the Democratic candidates running for president, at least uh, maybe a little more than half of them, are touting their support for the Green New Deal. Maybe not mm -hmm. maybe not in their stump speech, but when pushed on it, they indicate support mm -hmm. for it. Yeah. Um, a number – there are 12 uh, Senate sponsors um, in, the, in the U.S. Senate of um, the bill proposed by Ocasio-Cortez and Ed Markey. Mm -hmm. um, of those, Kamala Harris, Kirsten Gillibrand, even, interestingly, Amy Klobuchar is on that list. Yeah. Interestingly. Um, and then um, Senator Sanders, of course, and uh, I can't think of yeah. the others. But it's hard to think of. <laughs> so many. 20 candidates now with 20 possibly candidates. a 21st one joining. It is we'll see. Absolutely crazy. So, um, Matthew, you have a, a hawk on your, on your jersey. I do. You're a Hawkeye fan. Absolutely. I also understand that you um, are inclined to dress up as a different kind of bird once in a while. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I've, uh, yeah, I, I, I love, I love all birds. I, I'm an aviary fan, we could say. Right, and uh, and a fan of penguins as well. Who are we? Absolutely. I, uh, very disturbing news last week that the second largest emperor penguin colony in the world, in in the Antarctic, collapsed because of climate change, because of the uh, the inavailability of enough ice to sustain uh, their community. I mean. 
a, a couple different, I think two years in a row, chicks just wiped out because they couldn't, three years in a row, I'm being told, three years in a row just wiped out because of the inavailability of, of enough ice. That is, yeah, that's, an, I, okay, I, I wasn't exactly clear how a colony could collapse, but yeah, that's. So, so, so that coupled with Andrew Yang saying right? that poor people don't really care about ch- about climate change because they got to deal with, you know, bread and butter stuff, I get that, but then he, he likes to say the penguins can wait in line. Yeah. And you were part of an effort to make sure that he got a, he got uh, a chance to think hard about that. Yeah, uh, he did. Um, so uh, yesterday, even, um, at Franklin Junior High, uh, myself and six other uh, penguins, um, we, uh, we flew in from <laughs> Antarctica, you and boy, our wings were tired. <laughs> um, and uh, we did. Um, I... I uh, Worked with uh, Kathy and and uh, and Sid, and um, we came up with these fantastic costumes. I didn't actually have anything to do with it, but I did put it on, and um, it was uh, it was pretty thrilling. Was to it a do. little nerve wracking to do that? Not for me, no. Not for, <laughs> Not for me, no. Um, I've been involved with enough actions yeah. uh, through Iowa CCI. So, that so you're I don't you're care. Um, you're you're in the front row. I am in the front row. And, we had and time. Andrew Yang is up there. Mm-hmm. Was it a little bit? It wasn't even a little bit intimidating to no. be dressing up as a penguin while he's talking. No. Okay. Not at all. No. That's, um, that's beca- impressive. Because for me, it's not about me. It is about it is about the rest of my life. It is about the rest of the of the lives of people that I know that um, are in climate peril and people that I don't know, and it's. It, it makes it a lot less – I'm a lot less self-conscious because I'm not advocating for myself. Um, I'm advocating for myself only as part of the human race and as a species on this planet. I'm not advocating for myself for self-aggrandizement, although um, I'll certainly, uh, you know – take a spot on television if i'm offered one and or and or a spot on the radio and my understanding is that happened uh, i think one of the one of the tv stations picked up the story that's fantastic yeah. yeah so how do you i mean and yang didn't talk about climate change during his speech he did not but he did respond to your question right how do you feel about his response um it, he he was uh he was a pretty good candidate in that he was um stayed on message about his thousand dollars a month uh, basic income which every every man woman and penguin would get uh, yes he, well. he guaranteed them for penguins so <laughs> i am i am i am absolutely you're confident. human you would double you'd be double dipping. i would anyway. <laughs> i would be double dipping one year i'd be a penguin one year i'd be a human um i may but anyway fudge the numbers his response adequate inadequate i, I think i think it was um incredibly not incredibly but pretty short-sighted honestly um for for me and and the looking at the the basic income and then looking at the proposals within the green new deal those things are not at odds they are very complementary um and i think that i I'm, I'm just not quite sure how climate is not and the Green New Deal is not like a solution to so many of our problems in, in terms of poverty, in terms of job insecurity. And he talked a lot about people with job insecurity and and how uh, because our, our uh, wonderful corporate leaders de- deemed it um, 
important to export jobs overseas, um, that millions of of Americans don't have job security and right. and. Like I, I look at, I looked out on my parking lot this morning, and there's trash. Like nobody gets paid to pick uh. up that trash, but there is value in that. And also, he he yeah. did he did uh, allude to um, the the unpaid labor of um, his wife and taking sure. care of children, yeah. and that's like that is value that is not recognized and same same goes for picking up trash same goes for planting native plants um to help with flooding same goes for um so many uh, ecological services that are just not accounted for so, so i i see <clears throat> excuse me i see a disconnect here i see a uh, I mean, I've heard many of Andrew Yang's, Yang's speeches, and there, there's, a, there's a real consistency there. Yeah. He talks about three things. Right. Most of his time is spent talking about universal basic income, mm-hmm. giving everybody 1000 bucks a month. Mm-hmm. Uh, then he talks about the importance of, a uni- of, a, of moving to uh, Medicaid for all healthcare system. Mm-hmm. And then he talks about redefining G- GDP, gross domestic product, mm-hmm. to actually value things like, in his example, his wife staying home and taking care of two kids, which mm-hmm. now has no value in, has no in, in value. GDP. Right. Those are his three top campaign themes. But when he answered the question that you and the other penguins posed to him mm-hmm. yesterday, mm-hmm. he said, first, we, we're going to push for universal basic income, and we're going to get it done fast because we're going to have a Democratic Congress, and Republicans are going to say, well, you know, I want my people back in rural Kentucky and other, you know, red states you know, to be able to have that as well. So we'll get it done. It'll get, it'll get done quickly, and then we'll work on climate change. Right, and and did, did yeah. You, I mean, is mm-hmm. there any political realism to that at all? Uh, I think it's incredibly optimistic. Um, I would. Uh, you can never ever say I'm going to guarantee that this gets done because it's it's just absolutely not true. Um, and like Trump just, still has not built his wall. He has not. Which is fine with me. Thank but. God. <laughs> um, but it, it's, it is abs- – I mean political promises are simply that. They are political promises. And um, to me, it's, it's short-sighted um, to push this one particular agenda when it is so complementary to so many other things mm. that um, it just doesn't make sense. For, for me, and, and yeah. to say that we're going to get it done fast. Well, what if you spend your entire four years trying to get it done? What about climate? What about poverty? What about Medicare for all? What right. about all those other priorities? Right. Yeah. They just uh, fall by the wayside. And, and again, I think maybe one thing people don't realize is that you've got limited political capital. Absolutely. You, you, you come in on a wave and there's, there's uh, you know, you, you've got a tremendous opportunity when you're first in. Right. And right. over Absolutely. time – you make people angry. Absolutely, <laughs> you and you should. Them. You and should. people, and yeah, and your 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 initial support, your initial popularity starts to fade. Mm-hmm. It's inevitable. Even even the most popular presidents have seen that happen. Right. Even yeah. Chuck Grassley sees that happen. Yeah, once e- in a while. Even him. You know. Even so him. whether you're a U.S. senator, governor, president, you've got limited capital. That's right. And I think, you know, if he's right, if he's right, and he can get this universal basic income proposal done in short order. Then yeah, maybe he would have time and enough political capital to do something else right. big. But I, I question his sincerity on climate because again, the other two things he mentions in his stump speech repeatedly are, you know, Medicare for all mm-hmm. and um, uh, Medicaid for all rather, and uh, mm-hmm. and uh, changing the definition of GDP. 
Right. So where does climate fall? Is climate really your second priority or only when you're responding to a bunch of penguins? Right. And, and, and um, yeah, for, for me, especially on the third point, counting things that aren't counted right now, like environmental services and education and health of humanity is incredibly in line with what the Green New Deal is trying to accomplish. And for me, it's like why... I don't understand why he doesn't see that connection. Mm. And um, it's, it's incredibly disappointing. And perhaps um, it, is, it is something um, due to his business background or you know, having, having kind of a, a, a super narrow focus. You know, I, I don't disagree with a lot of what he said last yeah. night, but I think it is just too um, – it is not encompassing enough to address the – enormity of our problem. Well, the uh, presidential campaign season is just heating up. There will be lots of more opportunities to meet with candidates to uh, encourage them to uh, address climate more aggressively. Hopefully. And I imagine we'll see you out there. Oh, absolutely. Maybe just as a penguin, maybe not. I'll, dr- I'll dress as, like, whatever. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> okay. Anything for the cause. Absolutely. Yeah. It's Matthew, bigger than me. Thank you so much for joining us, folks. Matthew Pierce has joined us in the studio here. If you're listening on our community-owned station, stick around. We've got more content coming up for you. If you're listening uh, live or on our podcast, thanks for tuning in to today's Fallon Forum. Again, thanks to uh, station manager Juan Rodriguez. Uh, thanks to my assistant, uh, Sherry Hardina. Thanks to our producer, Ashley Martinez. And again, this is the Fallon Forum, always live, 11 o'clock Central Time on La Reina, 1260 AM and 96.5 FM, Des Moines. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon, your host here. We're taking a look at the Extinction Rebellion, which has, well, (laughs) partially shut down London, England for, uh, what, nine or ten days. So the Extinction Rebellion is uh, pretty candid about its focus. If you go to their website, you'll find four tabs, press, news, I guess those are different in England, press, news, act now, and a tab called the truth. I, I, I appreciate candor. And the tab called The Truth simply says, we are facing an unprecedented global emergency. Life on Earth is in crisis. Scientists agree we have entered a period of abrupt climate breakdown, and we are in the midst of a mass extinction of our own making. Yeah, like I said, they don't, they don't, they don't uh, pull any punches. They cut to the chase. And what they're saying is not political. It's scientific. I think that's the important thing we have to keep reminding ourselves is, you know, especially as we talk with either candidates for president or our U.S. senators or our Congress members, when we talk to them about this, make sure they understand that this is not something that needs to be addressed uh, from a political. I mean, yeah, there has to be policy solutions, but it's not a political challenge. The, The challenge is scientific. The the sixth mass extinction is already happening. The climate is already breaking down. The unprecedented impacts are already being felt, especially in frontline communities, um, low-income populations, minority communities, or in some cases, southwest Iowa. So the impacts are there, and a a dramatic response is needed. And we saw that happen in England. Um, 
I mean, in London, <laughs> the uh, protests uh, basically shut down parts of the city for 10 days. And it wasn't just uh, random acts. It was very, very organized, very strategic, uh, very thoughtfully put together, uh, and very creative, very clever, and a lot of diversity within it as well. You know, there was one protest in front of the London Stock Exchange attempting to close the stock exchange down, at least, at least block one of the entrances. And if you look at it closely, it shows people standing in a line, all dressed the same, with the the a mask on and the extinction logo. And again, I don't understand all the implications of the uh, of the message there. Uh, somebody in London, uh, an English person, would probably get this. There, there are things I'm missing. But you look at it and you see this incredible discipline, this deep thought put into the message. Um, in between, every, every other person is holding a, um, an electronic uh, device that shows the words climate emergency uh, passing, passing by. Uh, just, just kind of one of those little neon signs that let you know that there's a, a problem ahead on the road. Climate emergency, climate emergency. And uh, again, that's only one of the very, very many things that were done. Blocking bridges, uh, planting trees and flowers on bridges. I mean, they basically shut down parts of the city. And I think wisely, they didn't continue it uh, without any end in sight. I, I suspect they had the end planned all along. Because you can't, I mean, that was one mistake that the Occupy movement made back in 2011 was, okay, we're here, we've taken over, and we're not leaving. And so what was, what was um, established as a fairly spontaneous uh, protest against, um, against uh, abuses by the banking system, by the, by the financial sector, uh, in many cases became homeless camps. And uh, that was a problem. And um, to their credit, Extinction Rebellion, you know, took this 10-day period to focus on shutting down London. And they, they, they apologized to people for inconveniencing them, but, say, but then said, you know, th but this is ne necessary given the fact that we have this crisis that's not being addressed. They have their demands, and apparently they're going to get uh, their opportunity to talk with uh, the mayor of London, the um, head of the Labor Party, and... Um, a few other key people. So we'll see where that goes. Their, um, their goals are extremely ambitious. They want, um, they want by 2025, they, they want to see um, uh, basically a, a transition off of fossil fuels. So it's, it's, uh, we'll see where it goes. I, I know just like with the Sunrise Movement, just like with uh, a lot of other um, grassroots organizations working the front lines to raise the uh, alarm about the climate crisis, uh, they're not going away. The challenge is to mo maintain momentum and to begin to move from, you know, from street action to political action. We'll see if that works. I mean, the fact that they were able to get the attention of all the leading figures in London uh, and I guess they're meeting today, Monday and Tuesday this week. They're meeting this week, and we'll see how that goes. I, I you know, I would say I'm cautiously optimistic that you might see uh, uh, some movement among the uh, established political powers. Of course, um, 
there are those that uh, that deride the whole thing, that uh, say they're they're just uh, making uh, a mess of London, <laughs> uh, inconveniencing inconveniencing people. So, yeah, we'll see where this goes. Um, interestingly, this is something. Uh, I, I, I think this is also the new face, if I may say it this way, of, uh, of a lot of these movements. Uh, Extinction Rebellion does not feature any individual leaders on its website. This is from an article in Vox. Rather, it describes itself as a movement that is participatory, decentralized, and inclusive. Its mission is to get 3.5% of the population involved in changing the system using ideas such as momentum-driven organizing, Spin-off group, spin groups have now formed in dozens of countries, including the U.S., and that remains to be seen. What will happen here in the U.S.? Uh, I have heard conversations about this, uh, um, uh, you, know, sub, you know, guesses as to what we might see coming, and uh, I think it's good that we don't know. Uh, I, obviously, I, I think in any kind of movement for dramatic change, uh, if you've got a, a, a deeply established injustice and yeah we can only describe the uh the um forces that have coalesced around maintaining our dependence on fossil fuel as a force of systemic injustice the only way to to counteract that sometimes is to um is to you know to, to surprise the opposition you don't if you play entirely by the rules those who have written the rules will have a playbook that tells them how to, how to respond when a rule is broken. So if you break the rules in ways that they, are, they, are, they don't expect, if, uh, again, shutting down London for 10 days, I doubt the mayor saw that coming. I doubt, I doubt the uh, entrenched forces within London saw that coming. You know, and historically, you look at the, um, you look at the, uh, the bus boycott. Um, was in in Montgomery, Alabama, years ago, under you know Martin Luther King and the uh, and the Southern Christian Leadership Coalition. You know, it wasn't just a flash in the pan. It took weeks and weeks, maybe months. I can't remember. It took a long time for them to to come up with the strategy for how to make that work. And there was always some escalation involved. It it built from one. You know, simple action to more complicated actions to more, you know, to, to continuing to push the envelope further and further. And again, that's what we've seen with the Extinction Rebellion. And I, I, I suspect we'll see some more, the, something like this uh, happening here in the U.S. soon. I welcome it. Uh, again, I, I welcome it as long as it remains nonviolent, as long as it remains, uh, you know, respectful. Even when you're in deep opposition to someone or some force or some organizations or government itself, you have to respect the basic humanity of the opposition. That's a lesson I think that, that uh, Mahatma Gandhi was in particular very, uh, very, um, very adequately outlined. Um, Martin Luther King also adhered to that uh, philosophy. And I think it's one that serves us well because you don't simply want to beat up on the opposition and, and in doing so deny their, their basic humanity. Uh, you know, I, I, and I know there are those who disagree with that, and I'm happy to have that conversation. 
And I know at times when you're in the middle of it, and it seems particularly frustrating when you see just how bad a problem is. And in this case, I mean, I, I think of all the different conflicts in history that have involved a, you know, a, 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 a public response. I, I don't know if there's, well, certainly not in my lifetime, there has not been a challenge, a crisis as grave as what is now being posed by a changing climate. And so it's perhaps hard to imagine that, that any response would not be appropriate, even a violent one. And I, you know, I, I, I understand the frustration that leads to that. I just don't agree with it. I, I, th I think strategically it alienates people. We need to bring more people on board again. In, in, in the case of the Extinction Rebellion, they want 3.5% of the British population to be on board with action to push for change. And that's some, that, that, that number is not random. That number is based on a scientific analysis of how these movements work and what constitutes the ground force needed to push for social change, to really get social change accomplished. You know, it, it starts with maybe a, a handful of people who see the problem. You know, in the case of climate change, it, you could say it started with, um, well, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to know how far, how far back you want to go, but you could say that it started with James Hansen testifying before the U.S. Congress, or U.S. Senate, rather, in 1989. Uh, and now it is built, uh, it is beyond, it is, it is way beyond that. <laughs> I don't know in the U.S. if it's to 3.5% of the population yet, but uh, we see it growing. And again, I, we'll see what happens in England. We'll see what happens as the Extinction Rebellion moves to the U.S. We'll talk about it here for sure, folks, on the Fallon Forum.